The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two very cool co-hosts. Laura Nash. And your brother, Reagan, Shane Kelly. We are talking this week about Hot Shot Racing. Hot Shot Racing is Daytona! Let's go away! <laughs> Basically, Daytona! Right? Uh <laughs> Pretty much, right? Uh, so uh, we've never talked about a racing game on this show before. Um, and that's not because I don't like the genre. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of specifically arcade racing games. But, like, the style of racing game that I like, the arcade racing game, it, it has been pretty out of fashion for a while. And also, as games, there's frankly not that much to say about them because, like, you put in a quarter... And you turn the wheel left and right, and usually you hold the pedal down the whole time, and and the, that's the game, man. Sounds like somebody's an amateur. Occasionally you hit a deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, cruising you mm-hmm. was oh. I, so I I have to kind of give a little bit of backstory here as to why I wanted to cover this game and why I totally bullied my co-hosts into playing it uh, so that we could talk about it this week. Um, so personally, I. I wasn't really into racing games until, uh, well, certain arcade racing games. Like I think one of the earliest video games I remember playing was Pole Position in a in the uh, the back area of a Skeeters, uh, which was uh, yep great. Yeah, Laura <laughs> remembers that one. Yeah, well, while you were playing Cruising USA, I was playing the Police Trainer Academy where you have to shoot all the time. Oh, I remember that, one, that game. If you have one quarter and we're good, you could play for 20 minutes until your food was ready. Oh man, that was a good game. No, that was the first place I, I mean, this is a total sidetrack, but that was the first place I ever saw a uh, Star Wars, the arcade game. Uh, and that was a revelation back then. If it, listeners if so you haven't ever seen the Star Wars arcade game, it was one of the 80s uh, uh, Atari vector art uh, games, and so it looks stunning. And something about that vector art really sort of reminds you of the like vibe of the cockpit eyepiece that Luke wears when he's going on to shoot down the Death Star or whatever. And it just it really lined up with like like primitive tech and looking really, really good. Just oh man, that game was amazing. And like eight kids hanging off of you while you're trying to do it. Oh yeah. Because uh, Skeeters is a family establishment and every single parent there has given their child exactly four quarters to just go wild, but that will last about 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And your choice, of course, was between, you know, pole, a badly maintained pole position game, uh, the really honestly beautiful uh, Star Star Wars arcade game or getting like stickers out of one of those machines that you would put 50 cents in and like slide the little thing like you were like you were processing a credit card and you'd pull it out and you'd get the little stickers. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or the brain game cop shooting game. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was a place that we spent more time than I think was probably appropriate. Not a healthy food, not healthy for our brains either. Listen, what are you, what are you going to do after a little league practice or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Dump all You're gonna the You're going to go to Skeeters. So this was actually a complete sidetrack because that was not where I played these types of games first. It was where I first played any arcade racing game. But uh, <laughs> Shane and I were uh, Sega kids through and through. And we got a, after much begging, we got a Sega Saturn uh, for Christmas one year. And yay us. Yeah. Wise purchasing decision. I think we got it for Christmas one year uh, about two months before they discontinued it forever. I know that for a fact because we got it during their uh, their they did a promotion where you would buy a Sega Saturn and get three games and one of them was Daytona USA there was uh, Virtua Cop and uh, and Virtua Fighter Virtua Fighter Two I think I forget anyway yeah. um, we weren't really great at so we we didn't have the guns to play Virtua Cop so it sucked and uh, Virtua Fighter was just something that we would play until we it broke out into a real actual 3D fight. Mm-hmm. 
and so the 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 compromise game was usually Daytona, although you could not play it together. It was a one player at a time mm-hmm. game. So the fights were mostly about turn. We also, yeah, we also did not have the fancy upgrade de- uh, joystick pad or whatever you call it. So the 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 bundled controller for the Sega Saturn had a D pad, but no analog stick. Right, um, which makes you know steering a in 3D, just real easy. Mm-hmm. But uh, we played a ton of it. That game actually really holds up. Daytona USA is a great game. Um, and then uh, uh, more directly related to this specific game, uh, years later on the PlayStation 2, uh, I uh, I don't actually remember specifically when I started playing this, but I, I discovered OutRun 2. So if you're a, a Sega fan, you probably know of OutRun, one of the greatest arcade games of all time. I didn't really ever play that in arcades back in the day. Um, it just never showed up around where I was. But uh, OutRun 2 was uh, Sega's 2003 effort to sort of revive OutRun as a as a series or genre. Um, there was the original OutRun game, which was all like 2D sprites with super scalar scaling to sort of simulate 3D. OutRun 2 was the sort of like uh, PlayStation 2, Xbox era a uh, fully 3D version of OutRun. It, it, it's a pretty big departure from the original OutRun, but it has a couple of things about it that were very uh, evocative of that original style. So uh, it's a driving game uh, where you are uh, always driving Ferraris. It's very, very much like fully licensed, lots of Ferrari cars. And you're always driving with a girlfriend in the in the passenger seat. Uh, And you're trying to impress her by doing fast driving, uh, drifting through turns, uh, overtaking rivals. Your, your, Your road is just full of romantic rivals. The cars will just get a little sign above them that says rival. And if you pass them on the road, then hearts pop out of your girlfriend. Uh, she's very impressed. And also great music. is one of my favorite games of all time. I play it constantly. I have the PlayStation 2 version pretty much queued up, ready to go at any time. Um, it's one of those things that like, I go back to again and again and again and again because I just... It's one of it's a game that I if I if I want to do something with my eyes and hands, uh, I play Outrun Two. It's I I don't have to like learn anything or or think really. It's just something fun that I really enjoy. And it, it also has this really neat structure. I mean, this is kind of a sidetrack, but it has this really neat structure where, um, you know, you always start out in the same place, but all the different courses can like lead you to two different places. Mm-hmm. So it's like a branching, like meandering drive that you're taking. And uh, I always thought that was really neat. Yeah. yeah. We covered it in detail, I think, on one of the port episodes we did. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and and Sumo Digital uh, was the company that did the, uh, the, the home console port of OutRun 2. OutRun 2 was originally a... Uh, um, like an actual arcade machine, but all of the home ports of it were developed by Sumo Digital, uh, which is a, a British developer uh, that I guess was under contract with Sega or something along those lines. And so because those are they're a developer that developed this game that I play constantly to this day, um, I, I was very excited when I saw that they were coming out with a game uh, just here recently called Hot Shot Racing. Hot Shot Racing is a game that is very obviously inspired by and in the tradition of Sega 3D, uh, like late 90s, early 2000s arcade racers. So it's got this visual style that is clearly sort of based on uh, Daytona USA or on some earlier arcade racers from Sega, like, um, oh, what is a Virtua Racing? This sort of like flat, polygon unshaded note or shaded but no textures kind of look yeah it's like if you blended that but with like a donut county ish aesthetic yeah yeah it's got like a modern indie 
version of polygons, but it, it where this ninety influence, 90s influence on its sleeves, but like it's definitely dialed in that like indie polygon look that's we see in so many other games. It's funny how that that style really feels like it's come back around, like flat, untextured polygons. It's like polished, mm-hmm. flat, untextured polygons. Right, right. Well, I think all that really that polished means in this context is that they can draw a lot more of them. Okay, so I have to disagree that it, this is trying to go for a retro thing, because to me, Hotshot Racing leans much closer to the actual older style. Like, the, the characters and the environments and stuff really look authentically 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. When I think of the same kind of like more retro version of this, you know, that, that a lot of indie developers are doing. I think they go a lot, they even go simpler than this. Like they tend to like really strip it down. Yeah. I was saying that it's nineties inspired, but it's got like the coloration and like bits of the the modern, like candy coated, like donut County look to it. Like mm-hmm. taking the nineties mm-hmm. and bringing it a little forward. I'm not saying they're going like back, back here. Here's one of the things that's so unique here is like, if you look at the, you know, the the people in the stands or even like the actual drivers that you see in the select screen, like they are so boxy that it, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. Their faces look ridiculous. Yeah, their arms are just like a rectangle, you know, or a couple of rectangles and their hands like levitate at the end of the rectangle and they have no elbows. And so like it's 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 legitimately very very early 3d look yeah but their faces have like 40 polygons on their face yeah like that's what yeah I'm that's saying. true that's, that's true like it, it's like that's really true leave a lot of stuff blank but like and occasionally they pump it up for fun it really makes me feel like this is what these games would have looked like if somehow they'd figured out a way to get the sega saturn to pump out 1080p at 60 frames per second right like it, it it looks very authentically old and yet very new because it's doing things that no old arcade racer could do. A a big thing that they put in a lot of their marketing and I think is really worth applauding here is that this game runs at 60 frames per second on, on every platform, every port. Um, And that's, uh, that's really important in a game like this because it really feels very fast and fluid and it's like a very stable frame rate too. So it doesn't feel herky-jerky at all. And that's even if you're playing the Nintendo Switch version, which I did. Um, I, I just thought it was extremely impressive to look at from like a very, like it's a, it's a very uh, well done on a technical level. Mm-hmm. Ain't no textures to slow you down. Exactly. Like I feel Absolutely. like if you, if you have these like very simple polygons and, and no textures, and from what I understand, a custom engine that these guys are using, it's not some off the shelf thing that they're trying to adapt to do this. Um, they, they have built something that is really performant and, uh, and incredibly. Yeah. And, and apparently I didn't play these versions, but apparently it'll do like uh 4k on the, on the higher end consoles too. It also on top of all of that, you know, they are jamming a lot of stuff into these levels. Like they're full of beautifully modeled, very low poly things. Um, the, the game itself, if you hit start on it, it's le- about 10 seconds or less uh, to, to load the game and start you into a race. Mm-hmm. The, the game loads li- lightning fast, um, which is really nice when you're playing these, these um, you know, the, the races back to back. And it just, it's, it, it's very, very easy to just like, you know, roll it over to the next one. I really like that aspect of it. I, I feel like, you know, stripping things down like this leaves you with something that um, in, in a lot of ways feels really uh, tight and and like like the old arcade games. Like, I, I don't know if my memory is correct, but I remember these old, you know, games like Cruisin' World or whatever. I don't think you were sitting around and waiting a lot uh, for them to load stuff up. So no. Yeah, it, it plays like like the older games were in your memory, right? Like it it feels mm-hmm. very like it, it shaved off all of the stuff about those older games that felt felt kind of crunchy or weird or not great, and it, it just I don't know it, it 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 felt really fast and fluid to me in a way that 
is important in games like this. I'm not the sort of person who's, you know, usually makes a big deal about frame rates, right? We don't talk about frame rates on this show. Um, but this is a this is a case where I think it matters that this game was really, really put together in a in a uh, technically performant way. Let's go. Like most racing games, of course, you're, you know, racing, uh, but the kind of mechanical thing you're doing here is you've got this boost meter that you're filling up, and there's two ways to fill the boost meter. It's a little green bar at the bottom of your screen with four parts, Um, and if you are drifting, which you do by breaking into a turn and then steering to keep yourself on track, um, you're filling it, and if you are Drafting is the word I've always used for this, but I think they call it slipstreaming mm-hmm. in this, which is where you're traveling behind and directly behind another car and you get some little blurry lines to show that it's working. Uh, that's also filling up your bar. Um, and there's also another thing you can do to fill it even faster, uh, which is uh, if you're doing both of those things at once, it's filling extremely fast. Or if you're chaining the... Uh, drifts one after another, and you're drifting one direction then another to slalom through the course. Mm. Uh, that also fills up the meter really, really quickly. So, um, all of that lets you fill up the boost meter. You hit a button, it fires the turbo. Um, so, you know, this is obviously a simulation of how real cars work. <laughs> uh, if you, uh, it's really easy to put this into practice on Texas highways. I've found um, with a lot of just back and forth turning. Uh, we have nice wide highways for drifting and for the, that slipstreaming as well. I, I really like these mechanics, but I do want to mention a couple of things that really surprised me about them. Uh, because, like, I, again, I was coming from OutRun 2, which I played constantly. And um, the the drifting is a little different and in, in a slightly surprising way. This is a pretty small thing, so maybe other folks won't notice or care, but... Um, I found it was it was a little bit harder to get into a drift than in some other games like Outrun, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, not super Pretty touchy, hard, but yeah, it's a little touchy. If you if you try to get into the drift and you're you're oversteering into the drift, you will end up turning too fast and hit a wall pretty suddenly. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also a little bit tricky to get out of the drifts uh, in a way that was a little bit uh, surprising. Uh, it takes a, a light touch. Um, and uh, the other thing about it that that, uh, that I noticed was like my my inclination when I'm using games that play like this uh, is that I I usually let off the gas while starting a drift, which is uh, I don't know why that is, but it just seems like that's what kind of games expect you to do if you want to drift with control. And that's what I'm used to, yeah. And this game doesn't really like I I, I I don't know why but like I did really poorly with the drifting until I stopped doing that and just sort of held the held the gas mm-hmm. most of the way through the drifts um, so it, it's a little bit different than you might expect and if you have muscle memory from other similar games it might not a hundred percent apply here um, but once I figured that out I, I got pretty decent at it within the first I don't know 30 minutes and uh, really really enjoyed the uh the drifting mechanics here the boosting and drifting both yeah i will say though i if you are having trouble figuring out this drifting mechanic because it's not exactly what i expected either um i had a really hard time recovering because um if you're having trouble drifting um you can't and you fall really far behind you cannot fill up your boost meter without drifting Mm-hmm. And you can't do drafting, which is how, like, when I was learning how to play, drafting or uh, slipstreaming got me filled up so I could, like, keep going even if I was having trouble with drifting. And I was still trying to get the hang of drifting. But if you do mess up and you fall behind and you are trying to master drifting, you just can't get your boost back up. And it, it's yeah. like there's no recovery. The other thing I, I found really hard when I was learning is, like, I, and I, I talked about this in the Discord, but I, like, you hit a wall and I could not for the love of me figure out how to reverse um, <laughs> for all intents and purposes. It was as if the car blew up instantaneously, even if I had 40 seconds on the timer, like I could not figure out how to reverse. Um, I found out before the podcast that apparently I was supposed to hit the drift button and back to back up, which makes no sense to me. Apparently that's what it's been like forever. But if you've mostly played like 
actual like steering wheel games or you've played like carts or you've played games that don't have the drift mechanic and the brake and the backup share a button like you basically um are going to be uh sol when you hit a wall because for me it was basically as if like the second i hit a wall the big race was over yeah that's pretty wild I, I, when you told me that, I was a bit surprised, but I, I, I thought back about it, and it doesn't really tutorialize almost at all. It doesn't say a no. damn thing. It's yeah. not on the controller schema either. Like, I went in and yeah. was like, where's, the ba- where's reverse? It's not on the controller schema. It's not on the website. Yeah, I think it labels the I think it labels the L2 button as the drift button and not as the brake. So you they just sort of have to brake. know that uh, yeah. you know, most arcade racers, you you, know, you brake in order to go into a drift. So I was like, oh, of course, that's also the brake. And because I've played other arcade racers, oh, of course, if you hold down brake for a long time, then you'll reverse. But those aren't how real cars work. No, that is how co- that is how arcade cabinets work. That's the thing, because in yeah. these yeah. old arcade cabinets, they would have a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And some of them. I mean, of course, a steering wheel. And then some of them would have a shifter that would go from like one to two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they wouldn't have a reverse gear on an arcade cabinet because why well, would you? Well, Cruise USA did have a reverse. Oh, well, there you go. You're t- you played too much cur- Cruise in USA. I played the manual stuff where you actually have a reverse gear mm-hmm. or like or you play where like the B button is reverse or something. But in this one, like I just would change the camera mode. Like I was literally doing everything but reversing. Cause to me, why would you put reverse mm-hmm. on the brake button? Yeah, definitely something that, you know, they, they probably should tutorialize a little bit. It's probably on one of the little tool tips that they flash up for the like 10 seconds while the levels are loading. If you cycle through all of them, I'll, I'll just mention this real quick. Like not, uh, I did just go into the, uh, into the, the menus here to see exactly how it labels. If you do go in and look at the dual controller grip version of the control scheme, so not the solo single uh, Joy-Con, but the two controller, it does label that button as brake slash drift slash reverse, but very easy to miss given that it's just small text and not even shown in level or anything like that. It's literally just like buried in a menu if you want to learn that. You know, it almost doesn't matter because in these races, if you have hit a wall, you have... You have lost so much time mm-hmm. by the time that you're able to get back up to speed and rolling again. Like I, I have, I had plenty of times where I knew perfectly well how to turn my car around and get get going again, but there was no way I was catching back up with that pack because right. AI racers do not slow down for you. Right. The, there may be rubber banding in this game, but definitely not in your favor. Uh, no. So I appreciate the uh, like I don't I don't like uh, racing game like for example I've played some of the like Mario Kart clones and things that that really rubber band hard even you know if you get to the back of the pack everybody seems to just sort of park and wait for you and I don't love that yeah I think it only bothered me here because the default is Grand Prix yeah that's true it, because Grand Prix is the main way to play the game the I, I it's not necessarily like. I want rubber banding. It's just like acknowledge that normal, the first time you're playing, you are trying to learn. So like, I kind of expected more rubber banding on the normal or like a beginner type setting. And then you could just take Mm -hmm. it completely off. Yeah. Like it's when you're trying to learn, especially when you're trying to learn the drift mechanic. Again, when you first play a racing game, you should not come in first. (laughs) True, true, true. Like you shouldn't like, if you were coming in first, the very first time you play a racing game, you need to go to a harder setting. Um, but like, if you're trying to learn, I feel like it's, especially on something with where you basically hit a wall and you're, it's over again. I'm not looking to be in first place. I just kind of needed, Mm -hmm. like I needed a button that would be like, hit this button to reverse. Like I just needed that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They even have a thing that comes up on screen where it's like, you're headed the wrong way. And if they had just flashed the button on your screen, I would have been fine. They kept telling me I'm going the wrong way. And I was like, I'm not moving at all. I am parked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so definitely a serious criticism, but like, once you know, you know, it's something that you you know, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that like difficulty wise, I felt like it was in an interesting and good place for me. I, I breezed through the normal mode pretty quickly. And right now I'm in the middle of playing through trying to get golds on all of the, uh, the hard mode, uh, grand prix. Um, what Laura mentioned about it being uh, Grand Prix as the main mode uh, is 
this is pretty common in arcade racers, but if you aren't used to this genre, it could maybe be a little frustrating. Basically what that means is like, kind of like Mario Kart, the, the, you know, the, when the races are arranged into sort of sets of four, um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you get a, you're kind of clears in the menu, like whether you've got a gold on this, on this course or whatever is based on, did you complete that grand prix in first place or second place or third place? So like what I'm working on right now, for example, is like trying to get, uh, uh, get golds on all of those. And that means that out of four races, I pretty much have to be first on at least three of them, uh, in order to get that gold for the grand prix. Um, and that is, that is good in that, like, I like that mode. I like to just like go race after race after race and have something I'm kind of building towards. It can potentially be frustrating in some circumstances because like, you know, if you're on race three out of four and you screw up, you're like, well, do I even do race four or do I bail? That kind of thing. Um, mm, yeah. So they can, that can be a little frustrating, but like, I'm kind of used to that. So I, I, you know, I, I'm, enjoying it quite a bit anyway. Um, but you know, know that going in, that's sort of the main mode. There's not, for example, like a career mode or anything like that. There is also mm-hmm. a quick race and they have some kind of, I thought these other sort of modes that they include were mm, kind of novelties that I didn't particularly enjoy. They have a mode called cops and robbers, which is a kind of a quick play race mode where everybody is just sort of making circuit after circuit of the track and everybody starts as a robber and uh, you have to uh, evade police cars as you're driving and make a certain number of laps in order to, quote unquote, escape with the money. Um, but if you get exploded, then you uh, your car uh, disappears and you come back in a police car to continue. I could see that maybe being fun if you had like four people playing all together. By the way, this has four person split screen, same same console uh, multiplayer. <sighs> so good. Is- so rare these days, like really nice to see as well as land multiplayer, as well as online. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's really nice. Um, but that particular mode didn't do much for me as a single player. Um, there's also a, another mode that's like a, there's like time trials mode, which is pretty much what you expect and was, was nice. It gives you a ghost of a, uh, either another player or the developers sort of expected fastest time. And you just try to beat it. Um, and, uh, there were a couple of other modes as well that I'm, I'm not remembering. Uh, one of them, I don't remember what it was called, but it was something to do with explosions. Um, basically right. you drive the car and, uh, oh, yeah. drive or bar. explode mode. Yes. yes. Everyone is a health bar and the, um, you are expected to outlast the other cars. Um, not only if you fail to make a checkpoint, you will automatically just spontaneous combust. But also you have a health bar that will drop and your car will get progressively on fire. Like you'll take damage as you do things through the level and you race until your car explodes, basically. Can I talk for a minute about just the general aesthetics and uh, like vibe and characters of this game? Sure. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite things and one of the things that feels the most retro about this game um, is just the overall... Uh, feel, but I'm going to start with the characters. So I, I already talked about how they look like uh, rectangular monstrosities with triangle noses. So I, I, I mixed it up and tried to play a bunch of the different characters. It's it's worth noting that the characters themselves don't really seem to be different at all. Like the individual racers are not. Uh, they each have a selection of three or four different possible cars uh, with some very lightly different stats. There's usually like a a balanced car and then a car that's for acceleration, speed, and drifting and different, different little stats. The, the characters. All right. So the first one is just the most creepy, the creepiest mannequin of a, of a character with like triangle hair and a a polygonal smile named Alexa. Um, and the, the, it's all very much like all games of this time. Uh, well, all the games of the time, this is emulating. Every character is defined by one attribute. Uh, and usually it is tied to their, uh, national stereotype. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are two Americans. Uh, there's a Brit, a Chinese person, uh, a Japanese woman, uh, a uh where is this guy from? Uh he's a Jamaican, yeah, a Jamaican. Russian, 
and another Japanese person. Uh, although uh, the last one, the Japan, the, the second Japanese guy, is he Japan? Is he a, well, he's Japanese. Yes. But is he a human? That's the question that we ask about, about Toshiro. So, so every single one of these characters is defined by something. But one of the things I found was really weird is as I was trying a bunch of different characters, basically all of them have some kind of line where they're talking about uh, daddy issues, which is very strange. So <laughs> Alexa's whole, Alexa's whole deal is uh, that, she, uh, it says everyone thought Alexa would grow, end up a, like a, me- a mechanic like her father, but that was his dream, not hers. Now she's carving out her own path as a bona fide racer. And all of her lines are things like, you know, she'll be driving on a bridge, uh, past a waterfall, you know, and two dinosaurs. And she'll say, dad would love it here. And, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, and she'll, she'll, she'll be like, you know, crashing the car. And she's like, you know, I, dad, dad's going to be mad when he finds out I wrecked this thing. Uh, you know, stuff like that. It's basically oh all her lines come back to the fact that she has dad. And then every, if you, if you finish a Grand Prix, you get a very short scene of each of these characters. Yeah. Like a fighting game style ending cutscene. Yes. And of her, of course hers is her going back to the, uh, back to the shop, uh, where you get to see her dad being proud of her. And the guy that she was so worried about his opinion of her is just like, like a, a like a, a a fat mustachioed yokel in uh, in suspenders uh, with, a, with a gray beard uh, who's like working on cars. And it's, she's like, "Yay, Dad!" And so the second guy we've got Aston, who is the Brit, and all of his lines are also about his parents, uh, <laughs> but about the fact that they've he's inherited money from them. And so he'll be driving through places and saying things like, oh, I own this place. Um, we've got Zing. I didn't really play a Zing. He's the Chinese former circus performer. Uh, we've got Keiko, who says driving is an art. She's from Japan. She's the only one I played. She had a few lines, I think, about 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 parents. I don't remember any parents' lines. She mostly, like, everyone would pass and she'd be like... You know, the Japanese invented drifting, she says, a lot. Yeah, it should be like, you're not just precise on turns. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Keiko. Yes. Thirsty Keiko. Uh, Victor is the Russian one. And he doesn't have a lot of lines about uh, his parents. But he he did, at one point, driving through an ancient jungle, jungle temple, say that it was looks like it was as old as his babushka. Um, <laughs> and... And uh, Mike is extremely the opposite. Uh, he is, all of his lines are about wanting kids. This is the weirdest video game character I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> he is a race car driver um, who his whole, he is the, he's, he's like the ultimate wife guy, except with his, he's like the, the dad guy. It says Mike had a difficult upbringing with a little girl of his own on the way. He wants to give her the role model he never had. By winning the race of his dreams. Oh, uh, yeah. I definitely, like, steered away from that one. I was like, do not want to play this weird man. <laughs> like, he'll his car will get hit and he'll say things like, hey, baby on board. Well, not yet. Um, oh, my God. And He's like a wife guy turned up to 50,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. So yeah I, need to, I need to interrupt it's... for a second to say that, like, I started playing this and immediately found the voices annoying. And so the first thing I checked for was I went into the menus to see if there was an option to turn them off. And there is, there's a volume slider specifically for dialogue. And so I muted that. And then I didn't hear any of these things. And I think I made the right choice. They're nonsense. So I have to tell you, though, the last one, the last one and the very best one is Toshiro. And it says, rumors abound when it comes to Toshiro, his unshakable demeanor, his precision on the track, his mysterious origins. Is he even human? The answer is no. He is a robot. So all of his voice lines are uh, robot shit. So if that's <laughs> that's probably the funniest one. Uh, and uh, when he wins the Grand Prix, uh, you realize that is only the first step on his path to global domination. Um, so yeah, the characters to me this feels very authentically '90s. Like it reminds me of stuff like SSX. Uh, yeah. Oh, good these, point. Yeah. These characters that are like really, um, 
kind of national stereotype caricatures uh, who are a character defined by their one thing. Uh, and they, you know, dress in outlandish ways and they talk in ridiculous ways uh, and they never shut up, uh, even while they're doing the things that presumably require intense focus. Um, so so that's the characters. Uh, the design overall of the levels is also a thousand percent on point for this era that it's trying to recreate. Mm-hmm. Arcade racers, especially things like the cruise and world kind of games, the levels have a theme, right? It, you're mm-hmm. not just you're not just driving on a racetrack that's like Le Mans or whatever. You know, it's going to be if you're driving on a mountain racetrack, it's going to have a, a ski slope that you have to drive down. There's going to be goats. There's going to be goats. There'll probably be a yeti throwing snowballs at you, uh, and and that kind of level design is here as well. Um, but what they've done that's really wonderful is that for every single one of these, they really take that and turn it up to 11. Um, not just in like, you know, how outlandish the themes are. Like there's a, there's basically a Jurassic park level. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the number of objects and the like density of stuff on the side of the road is really, really high compared to any of the games that you would have played back in the day in this genre. Yeah, they've got polygons to spare here. So when you're playing them, all you're doing is watching the road and paying attention. But like the, the thing that you remember most about the arcade is that like it, other people are watching you play. So like, there's so many jokes on the side. Yeah. Those dinosaurs on the side of the road are not for you. They're for the guy over your shoulder. Yeah. And, and it, it feels so comforting to have that level of detail. Also one thing that's not authentic that I appreciated. No boobs. All the women wear clothes and it made me very happy. <laughs> like, uh, give me retro games, but like, let the women, like, let the women be warm and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so are, did I you guys have any little. favorite levels in this? Oh, I mean, okay. yes, I, I do. First off, yes, I, I agree uh, that the cars uh, were very modest. I didn't see any boobs on the cars mm-hmm. or, or truck nuts. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That'd be a super great upgrade for any racing uh, yeah, game would be to add truck nuts. <laughs> truck nuts. Truck nuts. Yes. Do they make truck boobs for, for the ladies? I, I, they should, I guess women don't have like, we're pretty secure in our femininity. <laughs> where would they go? Hey guys, if trucks wore pants, would they wear them like this or would they wear them like that? Uh, so some of some of my favorites, obviously the level Dino Dash, which was you know full of dinosaurs, that one was really great. But I also I really liked uh, the level called the Boneyard, mm, which yeah. was like an airplane graveyard. That was a, that was a good one. There's a lot of like random stuff there. Oh, I enjoyed Casino Run. Yeah, the Casino Run level was happy. good. I really enjoyed uh, the one called Royal Roadway, which has a um, uh, it has sort of like a Indian palace kind of vibe going on. It really reminds you of like uh, mm-hmm. like the art Gosh. for like the background for like a Dalsim stage in a Street Fighter game or something like that. Yeah, it, it's uh, Ocean World was a really great one because it had this um, aquarium tunnel that you would that you would d- drive through, and it was S shaped, so it had a you could like do the like back and forth drift. And in that aquarium aquarium tunnel, you're seeing lots and lots of fish. They really go all out with like showing you lots and lots of fish in that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Love to see um, lots of fish. You know, they, they really, they, I'm saying they, they really go all out using all these polygons and, and lack of textures to just mm-hmm. blast you with color on the screen. And uh, like, yeah, your, your casino was a good one. Uh, Area 41 is like a desert with, alien stuff. It's like, you know, New Mexico, they're all really good. So like, and they're all very distinct from each other. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a pretty good number of these levels. Maybe my favorite one to drive, although it was a little frustrating is the one called downtown. There's a lot going on in that level. It's just a city, but it has a really sharp U-turn, which is really a really fun drifting challenge. So that's a good one too. Yeah, I really like the levels. Um, it's not exactly like uh, totally revolutionary or anything. It sort of like finds a, a like these guys. One of the other games that they developed was the the Sonic and All Stars Racing games, I believe, or 
some of the Sonic racing games. I think it's the 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 racing. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, which is also a good game. Yeah, actually, that game rules. Um, if you like Mario Kart, it's a it's a great one of those that has some interesting twists that aren't in the Mario Kart series. But anyway, uh, it, it has a kind of a midpoint between like '90s arcade racers and the sort of extreme. Uh, extravagance of something like a Mario Kart or a uh, uh, like Sonic racing game. So, you know, nice level of detail and lots going on in them. And, you know, there, there's something to appreciate about them. Even when you're in the lead and there's nobody, you know, nobody in front of you, you can kind of look at the scenery while you're trying to make those drifts. So, Thank you guys for letting me drag you along on this little journey. I, uh, I, I've been really excited to see arcade racers making a little bit of a comeback after a incredibly long period of like these things not existing. Uh, and you know, even, a, even a, a period where there'd been a couple of Kickstarters for games that were basically this style of game that I got quite excited about that never came out or failed. Um, like it's been a long time since I felt like there were games like this coming out. And then suddenly there's actually some choice, you know, this game came out. There've been a couple of others here pretty recently. Um, I, I noticed it the same week that this game came out. There's another one that's called something like, uh, infinite drift. I think I might have the title wrong, something like that. Um, that, uh, is another arcade racer with a bit of a different vibe, a different control scheme. And it came out on switch within the same week as this game. So like, Arcade racers are back in a way uh, that's pretty surprising to me. And so there may very well be other ones that I would enjoy even more than this one that I just haven't had a chance to check out yet. I just I was drawn to this one because of the developer specifically. Um, But like, hey, listeners, if you have arcade racers that you like uh, and you think are worth playing in 2020, uh, let us know. I'm curious. I try to play these things when I when I can, because I know they're 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 a cool down game for me and I like having them around. Yeah, and this is the type of game that, like, if I was going to a PAX, like, this is a game you play in line with other people. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to have something like this on my Switch for when I can't get to my PlayStation 2 and play OutRun 2. Uh, God, wish they'd port that thing. It only ever came out on uh, Xbox, original Xbox, PlayStation 2, and the PSP. And I, I keep the uh, the PSP version installed on my Vita for, for the occasional game of it, but... Uh, I need I need more of these need things like this. So this game is called Hot Shot Racing. Not the best title, kind of anonymous sounding, but this game is called Hot Shot Racing and it is available on tons of platforms. It is out now on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Steam for Windows and the Nintendo Switch. Um, so all of the things, and uh, it runs 60 FPS on all of those platforms, as I understand it. Uh, and if you are running it on the uh, the pro versions of those various consoles, you can play this. You can play this in 4K on the Xbox One X, I believe. Uh, it, it runs sort of very well on all of the platforms. So play it on whatever you feel like playing it on. I played it mostly in the Switch in handheld mode, and it still hit 60 FPS the entire time. And looked great doing it. So uh, I would say pick whichever con- uh, console or platform you feel like playing it on. I've, I've had a great time with it. Uh, and I believe it was 20 bucks. Is that right? It's uh, on sale currently for 15 as part of launch, but it will be 20 permanently. And they also have already announced DLC, free DLC of four new maps and a new mode. Very, very nice. Awesome. So uh, yeah, check it out. And uh now we've got a little bit of time, so let's talk what's making us happy this week. Laura, what's making you happy this week? Well, it has uh, cooled off in New York. It is almost fall. Like, it's going to be in the 40s tonight, so it's time to uh, cozy up with some mystery novels. I mean, honestly, I've had no ability to read demanding fiction uh, in these times, but uh, give me some uh, mysteries and, you know, young adult and romance. And I'm apparently ripping through those, but uh, specifically I've been reading a lot of Dorothy L. Sayers, like classic books. She's an author from the golden age of detective fiction. I didn't read any of growing up despite reading a ton of Agatha Christie. Um, there's also a series called lady Sherlock, uh, which I think I might've talked about before mm-hmm. by Sherry Thomas, which is um, what if Sherlock Holmes was actually a woman who was using Sherlock Holmes as an excuse for her to solve crimes. Um, but I, I kind of was, you know, I'm reading all this kind of comfort food 
I was like, is there something I can do to stretch myself just the tiniest bit outside my comfort zone? Uh, and a friend of mine who uh, frequents um, Murder by the Book, a fantastic murder mystery bookshop in Houston, uh, suggested I try the uh, 1920s India series with, um, her name is Pervine Mystery, and it is 1920s India. Mm. It's Bombay's first female lawyer. Uh, and she's not really even a detective. She's a lawyer. But the thing is, because she's a woman, often there are murder cases where she's the only person who can talk to the women involved in the case because they're Muslim. Although she's Zoroastrian. Like they do a lot of like all the different religions of India have different law and she has to learn all of the different religious mm. law, which is kind of like, it's a good excuse for her to give you a lot of exposition because she's new and she was trained in Oxford. So she's like, oh, yes, I had to like read up a book about Muslim law before I came here. And I'm not sure I remember all the details, um, which is like the best exposition dump I've ever seen. Um, but it, it's a really interesting way because like, you know, all the tricks about like, you know, how train cars work and how doors and timetables and ti- like all those detective like 1930s stuff you've been learned. But you don't know like, oh, Muslim architecture has like lots of light holes peeped in stuff so that people can kind of see people through screens, but not see their, who it is Ah. for privacy. So like they use all this really cool stuff that you're kind of familiar with, but not. So like, it's still that kind of like partially obscure behind a curtain, but it's like um, a wall that's there to perfect female privacy. Or it's like, yeah, they didn't understand each other because like, you know, no one wants to trust the cops because of India revolution. And like, are they loyal to the British? And there's all this extra stuff that is very parallel to classic detectives, but makes you feel like you're learning about a culture that you haven't. Um, Plus she's like really funny. Um, Praveen is like, you know, very, she's not sassy, but she's, very much knows she's smarter than everybody else. Uh, and you've got to love a detective who knows that she is extremely smart, but for reasons, she's not the most powerful person in the room. So, um, you know, I very much suggest that like cozy mysteries is maybe what you can handle right now. And if you want to feel like you are kind of stretching a little out, try the, um, the widows of Malabar Hill is the first one. It's hmm. it's I've never read a book with a Zoroastrian main character like until now. Um, but like, she's also got like a white friend who's from Oxford. So there's also nice like exposition dumping where the white friend's dumb. And you're like, ha ha, that dumb white girlfriend who knows nothing about Parsi women. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You're like that one. Love me. to have an excuse for exposition. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That sounds fun. That so, sounds like a pretty neat, uh, a neat way to do a, a mystery. So, um, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I have a pretty quick, uh, media focused recommendation. Uh, I've had a movie on my to watch list for now. It seems like li- apparently literally a year. Um, and so last night I finally got around to watching Dolomite is my name, uh, which came out in 2019. And, uh, if you missed it, uh, first of all, it's on Netflix. So there you go. Um, but it's a biopic, uh, sort of comedy drama, uh, about, uh, the filmmaker, and performer Rudy Ray Moore, um, who was the guy who created the character of, and the movies, uh, the Dolomite movies, um, uh, the sort of uh, pretty much original black exploitation movies from the seventies. And, uh, so I had seen, um, years and years ago, I had seen the original Dolomite, but I didn't really remember very much about it. Um, and honestly, I don't think it made a huge impression on me at the time. I've enjoyed some of those movies, but it's a, it's, a, you know, it, it's, it's pretty seventies and it's got its, its own thing. Um, this really contextualizes it by telling the story of the guy who created the character and made the movies. And I love movies about people making art, right? I love those sorts of stories. Um, and this one is a triumph and it's got a re so the, the lead character, uh, Rudy Ray Moore is played uh, by Eddie Murphy and, it's an amazing performance. Like, uh, 
it's it's absolutely a comeback for Eddie Murphy. Uh, and it he disappears into the role. Like 10 minutes in, I had completely forgotten I was watching an Eddie Murphy movie. He he becomes this guy to a degree that like it, it's just a really, really great performance. I, I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's it's funny throughout. I mean, it's a movie about people making comedy, which is, you know, great. Um, but it's it's a legitimately funny thing in and of itself. It's really, really well done. Um, and just every performance is fun. Everybody's having fun making this movie. Um, and I, it gave me a more appreciation for like where these movies were in the popular culture at the time. Um, I, I, I thought this was a great watch. So this is on Netflix. And if you were, if you were sleeping on it, uh, and you hadn't watched Dolomite is my name, um, you don't need to know anything about Dolomite or black exploitation movies in order to enjoy or appreciate this. Uh, it, it's just a really great movie about, uh, you know, making movies in the seventies, man. It's really cool. That sounds super fun. I, I really like watching uh, movies about movies and judging by the output of Hollywood, they love making movies about making movies. They do. And so. then giving awards uh, to movies about making movies. Yes. Yeah. So is this something we'll, when did this come out? Is this something we'll see in the next uh, round of awards whenever that uh, happens? This came, came out last year. So unfortunately it was. Uh, no, I guess shown. not. Yeah. It was kind of Eddie Murphy's oh. chance for an Oscar nom last year. C'est la vie. C'est la vie. Yeah. Uh, I am. I also have a media recommendation. It seems like we don't always all wind up recommending films and, and TV and stuff. But so I, I'll I'll hit the trifecta and I'll recommend something comics related. Um, I this week finally caught up on my absolute favorite comic book of all time, which is Invincible. Um, Invincible is a superhero comic. Um, based on well it's it's a superhero comic written by the same guy who created the walking dead robert kirkman and he's now way more known for the walking dead which has of course gone on to become a, like a huge media property um but the first thing of his that i read was invincible and it had a really incredible run as a superhero comic of 15 years um if you've never heard of invincible it's basically a kind of light well no it's not comedic uh because it's absolutely fucking devastating at some it, point it, it's um, it's funny at places it's actually it's funny early on and it, sometimes it comes off as like a bit of a gag but it definitely doesn't yeah stay i mean there. It, it it is a it is a teen superhero comic so it I, i'm trying to describe it with without spoiling um some pretty important twists that happen in like issue six um, and this comic has now had its conclusion after a hundred and about 150 issues having a 15 year run, which is incredible for, for comics. Um, but two things, first off this comic, my favorite comic ended, uh, almost two years ago and I didn't realize it. Uh, and so having a huge backlog of my favorite comic, including an incredible ending to catch up on was really enjoyable it now has a huge sweeping run and I can recommend the whole thing, which means I'm going to be talking about it more to people when I have the chance. And I guess the second thing I want to talk about is the fact that they are making it into a TV show. Um, Invincible is being, it has been picked up by um, Amazon to be made into an adult animated cartoon. Oh, the, I didn't um, oh, cool. And, okay. and the cast list has been released and it's amazing. Okay, so I have to tell you some of the people that are in the cast of the new Invincible. So first off, who's playing um, who's playing Mark, uh, the titular character, Invincible? It is Stephen uh, Yoon, who's the guy who played Glenn in the Walking Dead TV show. That is very exciting. He's terrific. And his mother, who's also a big character, uh, I believe is being played by Sandra Oh, um, who is amazing on, uh, what's the name of that show? The Killing Eve. Killing Eve, Yeah. Um, was like Grey's Anatomy. His dad, <laughs> his dad, who is Omni Man, who's the kind of Superman kind of character, um, is being played by J.K. Simmons, who's oh, one of my all-time favorite actors. Yes, um, and uh, one of my very favorite characters in the comic, Alan the Alien, is being played by Seth Rogen. Oh. So they've got a real hell of a cast. 
I, I just have to keep going down this list because Art Rosenbaum, the who's kind of the uh, tailor to superheroes who makes costumes. Um, uh, by the way, this character predates them making that kind of a character a really big deal in The Invincibles. Uh, Mark Hamill. Huh. Um, yeah. yeah, and some just some other big names in this. Uh, Jillian Jacobs is playing Adam Eve, who's a really central character. Um, Zachary Quinto is playing Robot, who's another really central character. I forget um, how huge I the cast really, was. or the the like the you know the character list is for that. That's it's a, it's a massive. Oh, comic, absolutely! It took a long time to. That's. That's one of the things that's really incredible about Invincible is it is kind of a kind of a send up of Marvel in particular of the Marvel universe. Um, well, with a little bit of a mix because Omni Man is is more or less a uh, a Superman uh, knockoff, but but I think there's more more Marvel influence there. It um, it is basically like, what would it really, you know, it, it's basically a, a humorous take on like, what would it be like to live in the incredibly brutal world of superheroes and to have, uh, you know, your dad be an alien from another planet. Uh, and, and what are, you know, what are some of the, what, what, what disaster would your li- life really be, uh, actually trying to be that teenager? And, um, what I'll say now, having read the full, the full comic is it had, so so much room to breathe as a comic, and it had such a wonderful run. Um, we get Mark the you know, from his like teenager years where he gets his powers all the way through his entire life. We get many 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 years of his life through his uh, adulthood, raising a family, all kinds of stuff. So it's. And there's a fair amount of time travel involved uh, because it's superheroes. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, but uh, I can't say how excited I am to watch, to get to experience this story again uh, with a new bunch of people. And I think doing it as animation is going to be so perfect. I've seen some stills. It's going to look really good. Really excited about that. Well, not only that, but like the fact that it's an animated show means that we might actually see it in the near future. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering about that. Um, they um, they said they were going to show some clips from it. It's su- supposedly this is a 2020 show. It still says 2020 on IMDb. I don't think this thing's coming out in 2020. Well, animated so, stuff is like flying through. Uh, like it's gone like expedited shipping because nothing else is getting done. So maybe. Well, Maybe yeah, well. I really hope so. I really hope so. Um, it, it could be there. It, it's been about a month or a couple of months since Robert Kirkman said he was getting ready to show some clips from the show. Uh, and, you know, silence ever since then. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to let them take their time on it. I think it's going to get a eight episode first season. I really, really hope that they're, sticking with this for the long haul. Cause one of the things that's so wonderful about invincible is how much the story and how much the characters change over time. Like I said, I I've been really trying not to spoil anything. Um, that's not in maybe the first six issues, uh, listeners. If you, uh, I really want to talk about it for a second. Um, the, the big twist tune out if you don't want this spoiler, uh, but the big twist in issue six is that uh, his Superman-esque dad um, isn't just an alien who came to Earth and decided to protect Earth. Uh, he was sent to take over Earth. And uh, it's time for his dad to take over Earth. And, you know, family drama. So kind of kind of starts spiraling out from there. So it's, it's a really great comic. I think it's going to make great television. Super excited. Awesome. Can't wait to, I need to catch up on that. It's been so long since I've caught up on Invincible, like years and years and years since I read any of it. So, ooh, I need to do that. Um, so, listeners, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all of the things, a contact form where you can let us know what you think about the show, games that you think we ought to cover. You'll find a link to our Patreon 
This show is supported by our listeners on Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game. Every single one of our patrons gets instant access to our Discord. Our Discord is where we talk about the games that we're playing, and those conversations are the ones that become the conversations on this show. So you can join us there. Uh, and we're also, you know, chatting about other things. For example, that's where we're chatting about the ongoing drama of Blaseball. If you want to come chat Blaseball with some people who, uh, in, in a format where it won't be, uh, a flood of messages the way that the Blaseball Discord is. Come join us to talk about your Blaseball team. Yeah, we were going to leave room to to explain the sacrifice on today's episode, but I don't know if we have I time. I don't think we have time, so if you're wondering what the sacrifice was all about this season, I'm happy to explain it to you on Discord. Come join us there. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can find me personally on Twitter at Reagan K, R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura Dana. And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And listeners, once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Congrats to the Wild Wings.